Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, fellow gamers, and welcome to the Multiplayer Gaming Podcast. Today we have a very exciting episode for you all as we will be deep diving God of War Ragnarok. Before we start that, though, we would like to ask you all to take a moment to rate our show five stars and leave a written review if your podcast app allows. And if you like what we do and want extra content, you can sign up on Patreon to get bonus episodes while helping support our show. You can check it all out at MultiplayerSquad.com. And you can also follow us on socials everywhere at Multiplayer Pod. I am your host, Paul, and here with me, death can have him when it earns him. It's Josh. Oh, it's one of my favorite lines. It's <laughs> a great one. It, it was so, dude, they showed that off in the trailer. That part mm-hmm. of the game, I was just like, yes. <laughs> Very nice. And here joining me and Josh, he looks like a calm and reasonable person. Are you a calm and reasonable person? It's Michael. Uh, I think I am a calm and reasonable person, but <laughs> maybe there's some things underneath that just haven't come out yet. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. All right. So I did want to say here at the top of the show that as we cover God of War Ragnarok, we are going to be sharing spoilers from the previous God of War entries. So all the games that came before are fair game. And as far as Ragnarok goes, we are only initially going to talk about the opening hour of the game. So being that it's about a 20, 22 hour campaign, we are going to talk about the opening hour just so we can talk about it on the show. And then later we will give you a major spoilers warning. And that's when we'll talk about end game reveals. All right. Since we have so much to talk about, we're not going to dilly dally. We're not going to go over any kind of housekeeping today. It's time, boys. Let's hop on our wolf sled and make final preparations for the end of the world while deep diving God of War Ragnarok. Oh, that music was almost as epic as Bear McCreary's store, uh, score for this game. <laughs> oh, and you better believe we're going to talk about that music today. All right, so starting off, in case you're living under a rock and don't know anything about God of War, here's the description of Ragnarok according to Sony. From Santa Monica Studios comes the sequel to the critically acclaimed God of War 2018. Join Kratos and Atreus on a mythic journey for answers before Ragnarok arrives. Together, father and son must put everything on the line as they journey to each of the nine realms. Throughout stunning mythological landscapes, they'll face fearsome enemies, from Norse gods to wild beasts, as they prepare for the showdown of their lives. Armed with his trustworthy weapons of war, including the Leviathan Axe and the Blades of Chaos, 
Kratos' deadly skills will be tested like never before as he fights to protect his family. A host of new abilities for him and Atreus also await, leaving room for fluid, expressive, and customizable combat in this epic and unflinching tale. Alright, so I think it's fair to say that God of War Ragnarok is one of the most highly anticipated games that we've done a deep dive for, probably second only to Cyberpunk 2077, and for anyone out there who does not know, Ragnarok is actually the ninth entry in the God of War series, and Ragnarok sold over 5 million units in the first week, making it the fastest-selling first-party game in PlayStation history. Wow. (laughs) Now, Josh... (laughs) You and I did a deep dive of God of War 2018, and we have it placed number two on our overall leaderboard. It currently sits only behind Red Dead Redemption 2. What is it about God of War that makes it so special? Oh, man. How long do we have? Um, <laughs> That's a big an hour for just this part. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, to keep it simple, it does everything that a game that multiple games do on their own and puts it all together in a complete package. So your gameplay aspect is phenomenal. The combat in God of War is top-notch. It is fun. It's engaging. It's in-depth. You're good to go. The characters, the characters are explained. You care about them. There's backstory to them. They have a lot of depth to them, so they nail the characters. The story, you become insanely invested in the story that the characters are going through. Like you, you actually care and it's a well-written plot. So what makes God of War incredible is that it takes all of these different gameplay elements and it combines them into a, a, an almost perfect mishmash of a lot of those different elements. That's the easiest, like simplest way I can put it. I can say it even simpler. Um, I can just say it's severely underrated on our leaderboard. <laughs> I mean, that, to be fair, God of War is number one for me. <laughs> it was Paul that I conceded Red Dead Redemption 2 to the number one spot. Well, Michael also did the deep dive on Red Dead yeah. and agreed Ooh. at putting it Ooh. number one at the time. So, oh, yeah. Michael, There's wait, a... Michael is guilty. Yeah, Michael there. is guilty here. Guilty! I have not played God of War, but I have now played God of War 2018. Yeah. Yeah, and there's going to be a, a lot of uh, recency <laughs> bias here, but that's okay. That's okay. We'll, we'll talk about ourselves. It. Yeah, yeah. Josh is absolutely right. Marriage of story and gameplay. You know, I don't think that God of War 2018 is like the best story ever told in video games, but it's a story with a combat. You put it all together. It's the perfect length where it just kind of leaves you wanting more. Like some people fizzle out on longer games like Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, but God of War 2018 just drops you off 20 years later in Kratos's life. And you just have a million questions like who is this woman Kratos was married to? Why is his relationship so strained with his son? You know, what's going on? And the story is told with so much nuance and care. You can really feel the passion in every scene, every line of dialogue, you know, Josh and I, I think we both said God of War 2018 is a perfect game. Like it's in that very small pantheon no pun intended, of perfect games. (laughs) I think the other thing that stands out to me is that the 2018 game has so many oh crap moments, which I know we talked about on the deep dive, but I mean, it covers things from like cutting off Mimir's head, uh, summoning the world serpent for the first time, the entire scene where you have Kratos carrying Atreus unconscious back to Freya's hut and you don't know if he's going to survive or not. You've got all the stuff with Balder trying to choke out his mom, Freya. 
I mean, to the, the reveal of Atreus being the Norse god Loki. Like, there's so many individual moments that stand out as being all-time greats. I mean, it, there's nothing more you can ask for out of God of War. And so here we're finally getting the follow-up, which is Ragnarok. Uh, Michael, you already mentioned here that you had not previously played God of War. You never played any of the entries other than a couple hours of 2018 before fizzling out. Now, here in the last two weeks, I believe, you blazed through all of Ragnarok first as your first God of War game. You finished it. You went back. All you ended up playing all of 2018 as well. So what's it been like to eat, drink, and breathe God of War for the first time? Um, it was incredible. I, I'd actually played a little bit of God of War 3 back in, like, what was it, 2008 or something like that. But, yeah, it was interesting. I did I did almost 100% complete Ragnarok. I have done literally everything you can do in the game, with exception of two things that I would consider kind of spoilish, so I might bring them up later on. Um but it was it was incredible. Um, just going back and understanding the character. That being said, I absolutely am a preposterous, obtuse idiot by not listening to Josh and Paul when mm-hmm. they ceaselessly <laughs> told me to stop everything that I was doing and play God of War 2018 because I did play these in the wrong order. I didn't know. Now, if I'd have known I was going to blaze through a uh, hundred hours of God of War in a week or in two weeks. I would have played 2018 and then played Ragnarok, which, listen to me out there, you have to do it that way. I know you're excited about the newer entry. Maybe the graphics are a little bit updated and some of the things we talk about with combat later on, not to spoil later in the episode. But story-wise, it's like watching Star Wars out of order. When you watch the original trilogy from the 1970s and 80s, you're meant to like understand Darth Vader as this big, bad, evil, fa- you know, literally faceless entity of just no remorse, you know, just of cruelty. And then you go back and you watch the trilogies, uh, I'm sorry, the prequels, and you understand more about Anakin and you get like more of his, you know, his personality and his tragic story and stuff like that. You have to play the story in the order it was meant to be revealed because 2018 sets up so many things for Ragnarok that are just great payoffs. And I'm really sad I did it that way. That being said, I'm so happy I've done this and I, I want to I, I play through them all again. <laughs> but so a good question for Michael right now is I mean I agree if you haven't played 2018's God of War and you're amped about Ragnarok do yourself a favor you're not missing yeah. anything like play 2018 first and then play Ragnarok it will pay off in spades for you but I know there's people out there that have gone listen I don't have the time I you know I have kids or whatever but I'm super Me. interested in Ragnarok can I just play Ragnarok on its own and have it be rewarding yeah I mean, it's that's the whole thing is is that's what we aim to cover today, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So to kind of bridge the gap from 2018 to Ragnarok, we do have a time jump of three years in the story. Atreus is no longer the little turd that you might remember <laughs> from 2018. Now he's he a teenage now, turd. <laughs> he is now a strapping young man. I really love comparing the opening of 2018 to the opening of Ragnarok because it really highlights the time jump. In the beginning of 2018, you first take out Atreus to teach him how to hunt. And in the beginning of Ragnarok, Kratos is just calmly whittling away more arrows for Atreus. And Atreus walks in carrying a giant buck on his shoulders. <laughs> like he is no longer the little prepubescent, you know, tween. He's now a young man. So the story of Ragnarok is not quite as simple or as clean as 2018, where you're just trying to spend the entire game going to the highest mountain in all the realms to spread phase ashes. 
But in the beginning of Ragnarok, we find out that Freya has still been hunting down Kratos, trying to kill him over the last three years. We also find out that Atreus has been sneaking off at night with Sindri to study all of the giant shrines and also trying to find out what's going on with the Norse god of war Tyr. Can we find out where he is? Is he still alive? Is he dead? What's going on? And Atreus is also learning more about his giant powers, since we, of course, know that he is half god and also half giant. So one night when Kratos and Atreus are home in near the beginning of Ragnarok, they're getting ready to go to bed, and we see what was shown at the very end of the 2018 entry, where the home is kind of like hit by lightning, you hear thunder everywhere, and they open the door. And there's Fat Thor standing outside Kratos' door holding Mjolnir. And of course, you just kind of expect an immediate fight, because in 2018, you did kill Thor's sons. You also killed his half-brother, Balder. Uh, but Michael, do you want to tell us, like, what happens at this point when you start talking to Thor? Um, so, essentially, the whole part with Thor is, is you can kind of see that Thor is is kind of being a puppet of Odin's wishes and Odin's wills and stuff. So the point of the fight with Thor is, it, well, first of all, it's pretty cool because you're literally flying through all the realms, crashing through things, destroying landscape around you while Atreus is back in the cabin talking to Odin. And that's like the whole point of what's going on here is Odin is trying to distract the heck out of uh, Kratos by using Thor in order to talk to Atreus, because Atreus is kind of the key to what he is looking to do. Is that kind of where you were wanting to go there? Yeah, I, I just want to, I'll rewind just a little bit before that point, because everybody thinks you're fighting Thor right away, kind of like you fight Balder right away in 2018. But the game kind of throws a twist because Thor basically says, can I come in? I brought mead. And so <laughs> yeah, there's this right. neat little moment That's where right. you go like, wait, we're not fighting? <laughs> Like He's just whoa, our house whoa, whoa. Guest. Yeah. That's and right. then, and then yep. so it's this very tense like moment, which I really enjoyed, where Thor comes in, you can tell like Kratos does not trust him, like what's happening. He pours the drink. You can still tell that there's mistrust. The tension just keeps building and building. Odin shows up, which I thought was super cool that they did this so early in the game. Because it was kind of like, we know what everybody expects, so we're gonna give it to you right away and show you that there's much more that's going to happen in this game than just the showdown with Thor and Odin. Um, and so, and then it does transition into the fight. You know, we, you know, Odin wants Kratos to basically just leave things alone. He can live peacefully. Just don't, you know, stop looking for tears, stop doing this stuff. And it sounds like, well, I mean, sure. And then Kratos is just like, no, <laughs> one word answer <laughs> yeah and then the fight happens so yeah and it, it really does echo back to like when balder knocks on the door at the beginning of the 2018 game and it goes right into a fight and you know it's it's kind of one of those things i think thor says something along the lines of you won't invite a stranger into your home with mead you know something along those lines and you're like well we know a fight's coming though like we we know this is happening to josh's point and it's really interesting to see the slow build it's kind of like when you slowly pick on that violin that you know, and you know it's coming. When is it going to break? Yeah, I think this really highlighted a lot of what they do in Ragnarok. It follows a lot of the same template of 2018, but they kind of put a little bit of a twist on it. So the fact that they sit down at the table first, I thought was really cool because it kind of sets everyone's 
intentions, or at least what they're saying their intentions are, down on the table. If Thor shows up and they start slugging it out, that would have been epic and it would have been neat. But the fact that they both sit down on opposite sides of the table and start like putting the chips down, I thought that was really incredible. And also, when we're talking about things like the little nuances of God of War, I didn't even notice this the first time around. But when Odin first shows up, the first time he mentions Atreus's name, Kratos puts his hand on the Leviathan axe. Like, now that his attention's on my son, I'm ready to protect him. Right. And then he finally lets go. And about a minute later, Odin reaches out his hand and places it on Atreus's shoulder. And Kratos does the same thing. So it's like they don't bring attention to those details. But you can tell that they really just sit and think through, how would these characters respond here? And you can just pay attention to any section of the screen and you're going to see something interesting that furthers the story. And those little details, I think, really set God of War apart. I think that's one of the things that shows a good game director to a great game director is having that vision to go through and say, hey, what would these characters actually do? And not just having the story evolve. Like, they could have just had the conversation. But by subtly showing the hand go to the axe twice, you understand that Kratos' most important want here is to keep his son safe, which, of course, is, is, is flowing right from the 2018 game into this game. And we show that that's really there. Atreus is becoming a man. But Kratos still feels very protective of his young man's son. Yeah, and they do such a good job of showing that instead of telling it. Like, Kratos right. doesn't just say, get my son's name out of your mouth. You just see those little <laughs> moments where you know he, he responds in a certain way with his body language. And I think that's really fascinating. All right, so yeah, basically Kratos refuses this truce with Odin. And of course, we know with the history of Odin, he's a liar. Mimir and Freya spend all all of 2018 telling us never trust a word Odin says Kratos is willing to trust them. And he just says, no, your offer sounds great, but we're not going to do it. And then Odin says, don't take long to Thor. And then Thor just starts slugging it out with Kratos in what is, in my opinion, the most epic fight of Ragnarok. This is just like hands down an incredible fight like, what parts of this fight stand out to you guys? What, what do you want to talk about? Uh, I mean, all of it, to be honest, because this is the big showdown, right? Like, in, in God of War 2018, and we're going to keep referencing that because there's a lot that ties in. It's like, th this is what builds up some of the payoff for Ragnarok. So, right. um, <clears throat> you know, in 2018, Thor is mentioned a lot. And, the, the you know, his acts of, you know, killing these giants, and he's just this wrecking machine and a super powerful... Like, you get glimpses of that, but you get no payoff in God of War 2018. In Ragnarok, it's you finally are like, I'm fighting Thor. Am I strong enough? Like, is Kratos able to actually take down Thor? And so this fight plays into that, you know, and it is very cinematic. I think it is one of the better fights in the game, to be honest, because you're basically going like, can I do this? You know, this is Thor we're talking about here. So I, you know, I think that they did a very good job in the fight. Um, I think they did a good job of making you kind of feel reserved almost because Thor keeps saying, let me see the God of war, like yeah. let him out. This and is Kratos a lesser is, version of you. Right? right. And he keeps saying that and you kind of feel it though. Right. Like that's the thing is you kind of go like, come on, Kratos, like let loose, but <laughs> But he's not that guy anymore either. And so I, it's just a perfect conflict for me in, in the way that they framed it. 
I thought that was one of the coolest ways that a game, you know, when you start a game, okay, so you end God of War 2018, you have unlocked all of your abilities on the Leviathan Axe and the Blades of Chaos. You've got everything. You're a super god again. But at the beginning of any game, obviously, you, you have to have something to achieve. So you've got to work your way up. You know, when you first start swinging the Leviathan Axe, all you have is throw and hit. You can't do any special abilities. And so... When you go into this fight with Thor, it's it's a really cool way to to be like, hey, I know that you're not letting it all out. I know that you're not. I know. Show me the God of War is what Thor keeps saying to Josh's point. But really, it's because the player can't unleash everything because you don't have any abilities at this point in the game. It's the very beginning of the game. I thought that was an incredible way to do that. <clears throat> um, and then also, uh, just my note on what was really cool about it is that there's, I think, the one or two times that you actually like the Leviathan Axe and Milnir, which is Thor's yeah. hammer, for those who don't know, clash. A mm-hmm. huge frozen lightning bolt is stuck in the ground at that point, just showing like, hey, two gods have fought here. And that's just really cool. While they walk in a circle around the weapons right. met in the middle, talking to each other, while Kratos is like telling Thor, your sons died because of you. And Thor's like, I don't care about your fatherly advice. <laughs> like, you know, he, he's like, you're not father of the year either, which Kratos isn't. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. I love when they stop fighting and then they talk again and have that dialogue. Uh, the other thing that I think that really stands out in the Thor fight is that Thor kills Kratos. Do you guys remember this? Like yeah. Thor hits Kratos. You get a death screen. And then all of a sudden you hear Thor's voice. This fight's not over till I say it's over. And he takes Mjolnir like a defibrillator, uh-huh. shocks your heart, brings you back into the fight, and then the fight continues. And the whole time, Thor is like relishing, almost like he finally has a like someone who can maybe be on his level, where he's like, did my sons die to you from pure luck? Where's the real god of war? I can see why my sons died to you, but I know you're capable of more. And it's finally when Thor says, all father has a plan for Atreus. And that's when you hear Kratos lose all control. He lets loose with that battle shout that we've heard a million times with Spartan Rage. Ah. And your boy, all father has plans for him. Ah. There's the god of war. And he punches Thor so hard. It's like a scene from a movie where it's like slow-mo and you see like Thor's, you know, all of his face yeah. like jiggling as he gets hit on the side. And then Thor just says, "All right, your blood debt's paid." And then he just flies away. It's like it's the right. craziest opening fight to a game. The first hour of this game is absolutely incredible. And so what Michael was starting to mention earlier, which I think we can talk a little bit about more now, is that during this entire fight, Odin is alone with Atreus. And so Kratos is now like very quickly trying to get back to Atreus and has no idea what they've said. Have they made any promises or any deals or any treaties? And that kind of like sets up the primary tension between Kratos and Atreus for the rest of the game. In 2018, Kratos had all of his secrets. He never told Atreus that they are gods. He was trying to protect and keep Atreus safe and innocent because Kratos knows all gods turn evil because of their power. And here in Ragnarok, that really has, it's flipped on its head 
where now Atreus has had these alone moments with Odin, Kratos isn't sure what to make of that. And Atreus starts calling himself Loki now. And and, and so Kratos is like, well, did you make any promises? What did you tell Odin? Are you conspiring with Odin against me? And it's really interesting to see that tension between father and son. I was kind of curious to know what you guys thought about that. I I actually I thought it really added to the story in and not in a takeaway annoying way because in 2018 there's parts when Atreus becomes very defiant and honestly I get why they did it but it was really annoying it like the kid sucked in this one he never goes full out to you know he never goes all out on just being a tyrant he believes he's doing the right thing and he thinks his father is holding him back and i think it's interesting where you know you've got atreus becoming a man and saying father you don't know everything trust me please trust me please let me do this i know something you don't know but i can't tell you about it because spoiler for later and I actually thought it was really well done, and I appreciated that part of the story. And also, that was a chance to play as Atreus. You got to play as Atreus a whole bunch in this game. While he goes yeah. off and does his own thing. I I actually think that the it does add a layer between Kratos and Atreus. And in the first game, it's just about, I need to teach this boy, I need to make him not weak. Because he is weak in 2018. And you see that he is strong in Ragnarok. But at the same time, Kratos is still having an issue with trusting Atreus's abilities and the fact that he's not going to get himself killed right away and things like that. So you have the level of trust. I don't trust what's going on between Odin and Loki. You know, you have the is can Kratos trust Atreus's skills at this point? Because early on in the game, Atreus goes off and you go looking for him and you're very worried about him. So you see these glimpses still of like the fatherly concern that Kratos has and he can't let go, even though his son is a lot older and more capable now. But at the same time, you know, I mean, he's getting older and you start, I mean, this is true with any parent, right? As your kids start getting more freedom, you start going like, how much can I actually trust you to have this freedom? And it plays yeah. into that perfectly. And on the flip side, you have the reveal from 2018 where, you know, Atreus realizes he's Loki and you see the giant like mural where it shows Kratos laying in Atreus's lap, seemingly dead or dying. And so now you have Atreus not wanting to talk about or reveal that to Kratos at the same time. So I think there's a bunch of levels that happen with all of this that get set up very, very well, like very early on in the game. And that's precisely why this game feels so different than like God of War two or God of War three, where it's just big gods, beating the crap out of each other for just revenge. And and that's cool. It's fun. They're button mashers. But this is like a very <laughs> human story, even though you're talking about gods. The whole idea of raising a teenager into adulthood when they have their own passions and convictions and those may or may not align with yours and you have to just trust that you've done a good job and you have to let them go. Like, that's something that every parent understands. And that makes the game feel grounded and not just a button masher between gods, which a lot I of action games kind of devolve into. And that that's what keeps this so fascinating. I think that's really what makes this rebooted soft air quotes their series of God of War really stand out because everyone's always liked the God of War games. They're great action games, but that's all they really were. And that's why these two games are elevated so much by critics and so forth is because it really does add so much feeling to the story. It's so much more. So when, when they came through and said, hey, let's make another God of War game and made 2018, it's so impressive they chose to go in this direction and that continues through Ragnarok. 
Yeah, 100%. All right, so let's move on and talk about combat in Ragnarok. Now, it has been slightly revamped in Ragnarok. Um, in my opinion, it feels largely the same. Um, you know, they did tweak it a little bit, and obviously the combos are going to be a little bit different. They're not going to just keep it exactly the same as 2018. But I think there is a little bit of a dose of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Right? We've still got the axe. We still have the blades. And those are always going to be fun to play with. A lot of the combos are kept the same from the last game, but they do add some new ones. Josh, what was like your overall take on the change in combat to Ragnarok? I feel like the combat is mostly the same. Where it excels over 2018 is just choices. Um, mm-hmm. That's honestly like the biggest thing that I could say in that. It, it is not vastly different by any means. And we actually kind of all had a conversation offline about like, you know, Paul, you felt like it wasn't really different. I felt like it was faster. Michael was saying, hey, I feel like it's smoother. And we kind of just, you know, talked back and forth a little bit. Ultimately, it's basically the same. It, like you said, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But what they did is they tweaked it just enough to give you the sense of it is improved if you yeah. want it to be. Like that's the big thing. If you play you yeah. can play you can play Ragnarok a hundred percent like you played God of War 2018 in the combat department and probably not care or notice a difference. But what you can do is you can take advantage of the different options that they give you in Ragnarok to make the combat feel more fleshed out. Um, It's not necessary, but, you know, I I think it is improved. I think if you get into it, ultimately, you can play it as a button masher and just do nothing but swing the Blades of Chaos and the Leviathan Axe. Or you can get to where you are performing combos and launches and grabs and slams and things like that. It's not necessary, but it's flavor. And if you play that way, I think you get the advantage of saying, oh, I see the improvements that they made with Ragnarok. Yeah, and it's what I had noticed about it, too, is it seems like they thought a little bit more about the combos. Like what Josh was saying, you can go into a different move from one move. What I think was more smooth is it looks like the moves were designed to be together like a dance of some kind. Whereas in 2018, it's like, okay, I've done this. Like, for instance, if you do the combo that's like, right bumper, right bumper, right bumper, right trigger, you know, he goes into an epic move. If you do the same thing in Ragnarok, it feels like this is a real thing that you would do, like the way he swings around and the way his momentum carries him into the next move is just what I had noticed a little bit, which really, I think, sets it above a little bit. Yeah, and they also just make the combat, I would say, a little more interesting. So, like, for example, I was reading an interview where they basically had said, in the 2018 entry, the triangle button only had one function, and it was to recall the Leviathan Axe, and that's it. And so they're like, you know what? That's a whole button that we can do more with. And so in Ragnarok, if you press and hold a triangle for about half a second, it will imbue the Leviathan Axe with like frost magic or the Blades of Chaos with fire magic, and now it's going to do more damage on your next hit. And you can even put points into where now when you recall the axe, if you just keep holding triangle, it's immediately imbued when you call it back. So it just starts to add a little more complicated combat. I think that's very neat. They did also tinker with the shields a bit. I don't know how much you guys played around with the shields, but they do give you multiple options where you can now craft and upgrade shields. You can focus more on parry or more on blocking I don't know about you guys. I just prefer straight up blocking, and that's pretty <laughs> yeah. much all I used in this game. I, I'm terrible at parrying. 
comparable. So I use the Stonewall shield from beginning to end, which basically says, hey, there's not a lot of range to this guy, but it's going <laughs> to stop him from hitting you a little bit better than like a specialized shield that's not going to stop as much, but it's really good at parrying. Uh, I did like the options, though. I think the shield part was really cool. And again, I, I think the keyword here is just going to be options. You know, you have more options at your fingertips to fight how you want to fight, whereas you didn't necessarily have that in the 2018 one. I I went with the parry shield because I love the combat in God of War. Uh, I, 2018's combat, Ragnarok's combat, I played on the next to highest difficulty level. I got my butt kicked, man. But <laughs> at the same time, it's one of the things that I absolutely love about the game. And so I went with the the shield that where it's it's all about parrying because if you time it right, it there's a huge payoff there, but if you whiff, ouch, it hurts at the same time, you know. <laughs> right. um, but I yeah. love the fact that they give you these options and they say, hey, you want to just hold your shield up like you do in Dark Souls? Fine. There's a payoff for that. Want to try to time your parries? There's a payoff for that. And then what's really cool without getting into too many spoilers is there's multiple shield options yes. that you wind up having that play very differently. Yeah. You know, and I just thought like, what a cool way to go. Hey, we've got the offense part of it down. We're giving you all these choices on how you want to approach combat there. But at the same time, we're giving you all these defense options, too, which I thought was a really neat aspect. Yeah. I, you want to know what my problem was with, with the combat in God of War? My problem with the combat in God of War is that we'd come off of Gotham Knights and went right into this, <laughs> and I was playing Kratos like Batgirl the whole time. Like, oh, there's, no. there's almost no block in Gotham Knights. You're just dodging the whole entire time and throwing stuff, and I just kind of rolled back into that. Like The first two hours of the game, I had a hard time because in Gotham Knights, it was the circle button that dodges, and the X on the bottom dodges in God of War how many times I pushed the wrong one and died during that Thor fight? And I'm like, oh, I just want to dodge with that button. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, and then the shields add that extra complication with the mechanic where if you have like your Stonewall shield, you can only block so many times because your shield absorbs all the energy. And then you have to double tap L1 and you'll smash the ground and unleash it. And now you're doing offensive ability with your shield. And so there are things like that built into the shields that, it's not just straight up blocking. It actually turns a good defense into a good offense. And so enemies, there are times when you have to parry or block, or this might be an unblockable move that you have to dodge, or they might have a shield and you have to do a shield slam to get rid of their shield. So there's all kinds of stuff like that. And even speaking more to the customizable stuff that you're talking about, Josh, the Spartan rage system has oh, also been revamped. With it. I love what oh, they did yes. with that, dude. Yeah, talk about that a little bit. Maybe so, in generalities. Maybe we don't want to spoil specifics, but like they give you more customizable options. You get yeah, I will we'll talk more in depth during the spoiler section because part of what makes God of War amazing is the discovery, right? Like there's some major spoilers that we'll get into later on, but we're gonna keep it safe for people that are listening right now. But they give you other options for Spartan Rage in this game that I thought was an absolutely great thing for them to do. Because again, it just gives you choice in how you want to play. Um, you know, and, and I think there's three different options, if I remember three, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I cycled between all of them. And it was really neat. And the testament to how well they designed these is that there was not one that I found to be a favorite. I felt like the three options for Spartan Rage all had a time and a place in the game to be super valuable and like effective. And so I found myself actually rotating through those 
um, more often than I thought that I would in that case. The other thing I want to say on combat real quick that I did notice that's different between the 2018 one is the runic attacks. Mm -hmm. So runic attacks in 2018 were super OP. Honestly, like that's how I beat all the Valkyries mm, in were. 2018. Like they, the runic attacks, you got them fast and furious. You, you were getting lots and lots of them. You could level them up really quick and they were very, very strong in Ragnarok. They don't give you very many options for like the first, I, I feel like almost two thirds of the game. So I don't know if the developers said, Hey, it's hard to balance around these. So we're going to limit them. But I actually really liked that aspect because it made you get good at the mechanics of combat before you got into the really strong, magical, powerful attacks of combat. Yeah, where it's like, let me just call in these three wolves and they're going to kill everything for me. Right. They force you to learn how the combat mm-hmm. works. Yeah, I, I, if, if I wanted to be a little nitpicky, I will say one of the Spartan Rage options is a little less exciting than the other two. It's very handy and you have yeah. to use it on certain fights, but it's not as fun as... 2018 where you just start grabbing boulders out of the ground and chucking them at enemies um you know one of the options is a little more boring in that regard now as far as combat goes is there anything in particular that you guys liked or didn't like i i will say for me the one thing that i thought was maybe just a little bit out of balance was the boss fights versus the swarms of enemies absolutely yeah, the, the bosses, because I played it on normal, all right? And, and primarily the reason for that is because Josh and I had to share the PS5. Yeah. <laughs> we had limited time. Right. I said, you know what? I, I'm not going to blaze through it as fast as possible on easy. I'm just going to play on normal. I won't bump up the difficulty. I thought some of the bosses were probably a touch too easy. I think I died at most to bosses maybe three or four times at the at the very most. A few of them... Actually, most of them, I one shot. But the swarms of enemies are very hard to keep track. I died so much more to swarms than I did bosses. And I felt like maybe that was just like, I know I'm getting nitpicky, but that was a little out of balance. Yeah, I feel like you're 100% right. I didn't die to bosses a lot because also their mechanics were relatively easy to learn early on. I think all of the hardest fights in this game are the fights you don't actually have to do. It's the side mm-hmm. stuff. And I, I think it kind of fringes on spoiler territory, so I'll cover it later. You can talk about but... it. It mirrors 2018. You can, okay, so 2018, yeah. you have the Valkyries that you fight, and you don't have to go fight them. I think you you kind of are meant to fight the first one to open up a side quest, because you just kind of find it, and you're like, oh, hey, defeat this Valkyrie. And then she's like, you know, her soul goes, and it says, well, find my other Valkyrie sisters. In this one, I don't even recall what the whole story was with the Berserkers, to be honest with you, but you have the Berserkers, which are the same thing. There's 12 of them that they actually go across nine different fights, because a couple of them have two or three berserkers at the same time those were far harder by night and day than any boss even when you fight the last boss in ragnarok later on in the game obviously there's the last boss fight um that fight was also not nearly as hard as the higher level berserkers i had to actually go through and find out like i had to google hey let's go easiest to hardest on these (laughs) fights because like i went in and got trucked i actually put it down just to see i put it down to story only mode on the hardest one and still got completely obliterated like two hits two (laughs) hits and you're two hits and you're dead i was like what's this fight like in story only mode so it's really interesting that that you're right except for the the swarms are much harder i died a lot more because people were hitting me in the back a lot more yeah i'll say i'm with you paul on this one i played this game on like i said the next to hardest difficulty i died a lot um and 
the swarms of monsters, and by swarms, we're talking like anytime you're facing four or more enemies, I would die so many times to some of those fights versus the boss fights in the game that it 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 started to border on frustrating just a little bit because it was more so the camera angle and the inability to get a second to be able to like focus on somebody. You've got guys trying to melee you, you're having to dodge. You've got guys range attacking you, you're having to dodge those and it's just it like it it's almost too hard. And 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 so that I'm with you on that complaint that fighting five guys is way harder than fighting like a boss fight in this game. Yeah, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about too. Specifically, like the worst, most frustrating part was the dark elves because they have a combo where if you don't parry properly, you will get hit four times in a row and it will take away <laughs> yeah. two thirds of your health. And if two of them are doing it at the same time, there's nothing you can do. You're dead. Yeah. And that stuff's very rare for a game that really nails combat. Uh, I didn't experience that often, but when it does hit you, it's just like, oh, come on. Like, how how did that just happen? It's like we get chain stunned over and over. So there's a couple points like that, but you definitely learn over the course of doing that same fight over and over. Okay, if I position myself here, my back is to this cliff and I can see everyone else a little bit better. Okay, I need to focus on that guy riding that beast because then... I can get on top of that beast and fight the other people. And so you start to kind of figure that stuff out. Um, most of the time, I found it to work really well, and only on occasion did it bother me. But then again, I also played on normal difficulty. All right, now let's talk a little bit about the voice acting work, because oh, so I, this is, yeah. I think really? overall... I think overall, this might be the best voice acted game ever. Oh, oh I thought goodness. you were going to say something bad, Paul. I was like, dude, yeah. wait, like, what planets are no. we on here? I, right. I could never okay. speak a bad word about the voice acting. Okay. I, it's incredible. The way you said that, I was like, is Paul about to say <laughs> something? But, dude, yeah. it, you know, part of this, part of Ragnarok, comparing it again to, to 2018, is your cast of characters is five times as large in Ragnarok as it was like in, <laughs> right. in, in 2018's version. And part of that is they introduce all these new characters, all of these people that either you've never met before or you're meeting, you know, you're understanding more and more about them and stuff like that. There was a point in Ragnarok, I want to say it was probably about the halfway point where I just stopped and listened to a conversation that was happening. It was in Sindri's house when you're having dinner. And I got so wrapped up in what everybody was talking about that I forgot to play the game. <laughs> like, no lie. This talking is talking about good, tears, Stu. This is how yeah, honestly, <laughs> right. right? Like, I I got so just wrapped up in listening to these side conversations that people were having that I thought it was part of the game. And then I sat there like an idiot for like 30 minutes before I finally went like, wait, am I supposed to do something? And I hit the <laughs> controller and I realized that it was like, this is just side content. Like this right. wasn't part of the main story. And I was just like, oh my goodness, I got so enthralled in this freaking dinner conversation that had nothing to do with the main story of the game. But that is a testament to how good these actors are. I'm with you, man. I can't think of a game where a cast of characters and voice actors have drawn me into a world so much as these people have. Josh, it's so funny you said that because there was so many times when I was done upgrading my armor, my axe and stuff, 
But Sindri and Brock were still having a conversation. I'm like, I can walk away or I can sit here and listen to this and see what they're saying. And the game gives you the option to do that. Stay there and listen to it. Like if you're playing, the, if you haven't played this game yet, stick around, and listen to the conversations because they're rewarding. But I'll just cover two things real fast that um, I was really interested in seeing when I saw the casting list for this game before I played it was one Richard Schiff as Odin. I was not sure how that was going to work. I'm like, you know, you think of Odin and you think of like Anthony Hopkins from the Marvel movies. You think of again more of a Zeus type of god. He is the king of all the gods in Norse mythology, unless I'm missing some smaller thing that I don't know about. But you know, Richard Schiff is not he's not a an imposing actor, but when you watch him walking around as Odin, the character actually looks exactly like the actor too, and somehow it really worked. And I think the way it worked is because you could really see how they and I, I know I've covered this before, but the motion capture these characters looked and acted and feel, felt exactly like the voices were coming out. And then again with Ryan Hurst as Thor, who told who told in an interview um, that he modeled his character more off of, if you were looking at the Marvel movies, more off of the Hulk than Chris Hemsworth's, not Helmsworth. There's yes, no Helm. Hemsworth. <laughs> Chris Hemsworth's <laughs> Thor. Um, that worked so well, too. And it really, really came out early in when you guys were talking about that conversation that Thor is having with um, Kratos in the very beginning of the game during that fight you're like nailed it this voice acting for Thor is perfect it's exactly what it needs to be Dude. oh and also Doc McStuffins is in it as Angry Boda <laughs> nice uh, now Christopher Judge and Sonny Suljic get most of the acclaim for voicing Kratos and Atreus they're both nominated for best performance at the game awards they're both fantastic they were both great in the last game I thought Richard Schiff as Odin stole Every single scene he was in. I agree. I think Absolutely. he is the best villain I've seen in a game in ages because he doesn't have to fight anyone. He doesn't have to pull out a gun or a knife or a magical staff or anything. It's just his voice and his command. And he's in complete control, seemingly, of everything. He just manipulates and plays people. And I found myself so enthralled with every single scene of his that anytime he was gone, I could not wait to spend more time with Odin. What do you want? How about peace? How does peace strike the esteemed, retired god of war? How about we just don't kill each other? How about you stay home, kick up your feet, seek no quarrel with me, and I'll have none with you. Of course, it means that that one, that one has to stop his search for tear. Yeah, we know what you've been up to. Stop it. Tear's old ways are dead. He is dead. You understand? And then that's it. Then we're square. You almost trusted him. That, you I almost exactly trusted him. He starts convincing say. you. Dude, yeah. this is yeah. what this was how good Richard Schiff was as Odin, is that there were many times in the game where I went, maybe Odin's actually not bad. Like yeah. maybe yeah. like maybe Freya got maybe him wrong. He's misunderstood. <laughs> like, is that part of this game? Is that is that like what they're going for? Because I'm kind of digging Odin, man. <laughs> yeah, even though the entire time in both games, Mimir and Freya are like, do not trust him. 
He will manipulate you. He's bad. And still, he manipulated game, me because I was, I was liking the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. And I think that's such a testament. Again, I know we don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but like such a testament to, you know, Richard Schiff is, he's not a big actor. He's in a million things. You've seen him look him up. You've seen he him in an everything Emmy you've for ever. the West Wing. Like he's that's a famous right, he did. actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's, he's always been a side character actor. He's yes. never like, in a lot of ways, been like still in the show, side guy in Lost World Jurassic Park. In yep. this, it's amazing that you see some of his best work in his career in a video game where he's so motion good. captured like it's because yeah like i i was like maybe he's right and then of <laughs> course you snap out of it pretty fast <laughs> yeah and and also you already mentioned ryan hurst as thor i want to back that up as well michael i thought he was incredible i did not realize it was the guy that plays gary bertier the quarterback and remember the titans oh, that yeah. gets paralyzed I was like, oh man, that he did such a good job as Thor. It was, it's a very interesting take. And I, I won't spoil exactly like who Thor is and how he acts, but I thought the voice acting work was phenomenal for how they wrote Thor in this game. You le- faked the drunk Thor really well. Yeah. You legitimately care about almost every single character that they introduce in Ragnarok. And that, like I said, that is hands down credit to the actors, credit to the script, credit to the story, because this story is is pretty crazy. Like there are times where the story is hard to follow a little bit, yes. um, <laughs> but the characters and the acting, I think, are some of the best that I have ever seen in a video game. Yeah, it's there's so many layers to every single one of your pivotal characters in the story that you really do get caught up in it. Yeah, and the music in this oh, game is incredibly goodness, epic. Yeah, Bear McCreary, <laughs> I, I, kudos, man. I know Hats he's off. super like hot right now. He he did mm-hmm. Walking Dead and I mean a bunch of stuff, but dude, the Battle the Star. soundtrack the the way that it heightens the scenes, the way that it plays on your emotions. I, I mean, you you need a soundtrack to hit at the right time to really enhance everything. And man, does the soundtrack do that? You know, I, I was really impressed many many times with what was happening in the background with the music and and the effects and stuff like that. It's genius level work in how he will take Kratos's theme. And then weave it into Atreus's theme where they play simultaneously. So in these scenes where you see characters together, he will merge their themes. I mean, the, 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 the OST for this is incredible. Go play it on YouTube or Spotify or whatever. I, I would like to think he's a shoe-in for Best Music and Soundtrack at the Easily. Game Awards. Uh, I, I would not be shocked at all for him to win this. The music really is great. I don't know that I really have anything else to add on top of it, but I know we all loved it. I'll just add a, a tribute again to Bear McCreary. The first time I ever heard him was Battlestar Galactica 2004. And just to challenge himself, he later on said... He changed the theme of the music or the instruments and the style between every single season. The first season, he only uses drums for the most part. By season three, he's using Celtic music. And somehow the Celtic music with even including bagpipes and instruments I've never heard of works. The next season, it's all people chanting. And you're like, what? How did <laughs> like it's, it's just really the guy is a genius. Yeah, he really did fantastic composing work here in both games. Yeah. Okay, we will take a short break and we will be right back with more Multiplayer Gaming Podcast. 
If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Okay, guys, now it's time for us to go ahead and share spoilers. We're going to hop into whatever else we want to talk about in this game. If you want to keep yourself spoiler-free and you don't want to know, but you want to jump ahead to the final segments of the show... Go ahead and jump forward 26 minutes and 35 seconds. All right, guys, what do you want to talk about? What should we cover here first? So this is where we talk about the story, everybody, because there's a huge story in this game, but we can't talk about that and ruin it for people either. So uh, also, I'm going to give one more preface. If you are planning on playing God of War Ragnarok, do yourself a favor and skip this part. You can always yeah. come back to it later, but do not yeah. spoil it because part of what makes these games amazing is the discovery. So final warning from all of us, if you are going to play this game, skip this part because it will be worth it. Um, that being said, man, this story in this game is big, sometimes <laughs> confusing, a little, a little convoluted. convoluted. Yes. Super epic. <laughs> Um, sometimes like, why did you put that in there? If you didn't go down that road, um, you know, you, it's, it's like this, they tried to do everything bigger and better than 2018. And to a large degree, they succeeded in that to some degree going so big is at the same time going to make it to where it's not as intimate. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, that's that's the best summarization of like the story part that I could say. You're 100% right, Josh, and I'll, I'll highlight a couple ways where they do that in a few minutes, but let's start by talking about Tyr. All right, ah, so in, in this game, you have convinced yourself that you, or Atreus has convinced himself that he's tracked down Tyr, he's not dead, Odin has kept him imprisoned, Kratos trusts Atreus, you go, you find Tyr, you bust him out from his jail, and Tyr says, I'm no longer a fighter. It, it, kind of, it kind of, it kind of, and Kratos even says, you're the Norse god of war, which is funny because yeah. Kratos doesn't want to fight either. Like you would think they would bond over two gods of war saying we want to set aside our weapons. And so Tyr comes across as a little bit of a wuss. I don't know bit. about you guys. I fully expected at some point later in the game, he's going to be forced to fight and he's going to be incredible. That's or what I, I thought, for. Yes. Yeah, I can't I was, wait for goosebumps because he knew it was coming. <laughs> Yes, I was waiting for that, 
or to find out that he is secretly working for Odin. I, I, I knew it had to be one or the other. It wasn't going to be just as simple as, oh, we found Tyr, but he's not going to play any role in the story. Like, you know that's not going to be the case. So then later when you find out that Tyr is actually Odin himself, like, that was a really cool reveal. I'll be honest, I had no idea. That that one got no. me. to Like, I was like, and, and I love how it kind of came about, too, because one of the characters, Brock, starts to catch on and he says, hey, man, I've noticed like the way that you refer to Atreus, the way that you talk like Brock's and, and I'll be honest, I had no idea, no idea up until that point. And then it was like the light bulb went off and my brain mm-hmm. went, oh, <laughs> and yeah. then just the craziest sequence of events happens. And I was like, oh, my goodness, they got me. They got me again, man. Well, and it's crazy too because, like, what you know from the first game is that Tyr is the one who unlocks the the ways to the realms. You know, it's not like in it's not like in the Marvel movies where it's Heimdall who does it. In this universe, Tyr is the one who can make the realms, and he even in the first game hides ways to like Jotunheim and stuff. And so in this one, it's kind of funny because that moment you're talking about, he's like, "Oh, I I have another way to Asgard," and Brock is like, "How come you didn't bring this up earlier that you have another way into Asgard? What? Do you, yeah. Why wouldn't we have just done that? Like, I don't know, seven hours of gameplay ago." And then that reveal that he was Odin the whole time was incredible, and also very sad because I kind of liked where Tyr was going, even though again, it was really just Odin pulling the wool over my eyes because you know after a fight he does nothing. He's like, "Listen, I was fighting with my." shield when i should have been fighting with my sword i'm gonna help you guys out now and you're like awesome we're going for that reveal we're going for it and it never happens and um i don't know if you guys want to talk about this anymore but you, you do see tier after the game you find the real tier after the game you and do so i can go to that i'll go into that very briefly but yeah. this is again it could be a tie into the spoilers it's a side quest so basically parts of asgard have fallen and you find you have to go close these like basically rifts of asgard not really rifts because you can't go back and forth. They're remnants of Asgard. Asgard is shattered after the game goes everywhere. Well, when you go and do this, one of them, you free Tyr, the real Tyr. And again, we talk about like, why was Tyr left alive if he's literally the most powerful god? Why wouldn't Odin kill him? Well, because he needed him for his form. That was kind of foreshadowing, I guess, although I didn't catch on. It was completely surprising to me. But you do find him later and he's walking around and he's just kind of making these side comments about it. You don't really get a whole lot from it, but you can't help but wonder if maybe it's part of that mural in 2018 where you do see the symbols of like Egypt and like of the Mayan Empire. Like how far can this series go now that we've destroyed Ragnarok? What if we look into Egyptian mythology and can Tyr go there too? Because it's shown him opening the realms in that temple to other mythologies. And so I think that that was maybe a reason why they still have Tyr alive in the game. I don't know. I hope we get to see more from Tyr in the next entry. It looks like Kratos' days of fighting are over. I would have loved to see Kratos and Tyr team up together, and maybe we will get that. I don't know. But one of the funniest things about the reveal that Odin was Tyr is, I don't know if you guys remember this or if you've revisited any scenes. I watched a lot on YouTube after. But do you remember when they visit the one giant shrine with Tyr, and they realize that Groa had lied about the prophecies? And they say, oh, we can win Ragnarok. Odin can die and Asgard gets destroyed. And Mimir is even laughing, saying, Odin's been working with a false prophecy. Finally, we know something Odin doesn't know. Oh. And Tyr <laughs> is standing there staring, studying the mural, realizing 
Now, in hindsight, that was Odin. He absolutely knows oh, the whole time. Man. It's just one of those like very rewarding moments on second rewatch where it's like, oh, that's so clever. He's there the whole time. I didn't even think of that. I didn't either until I went back and then saw it again. Um, also tied to the Odin reveal being Tyr, uh, he kind of takes out our boy Brock in the process. Oh, I was <laughs> so sad, dude. Poor this Brock. Game, was terrible. I'm with Mike. This game, there were a few moments in this game where I got a little choked up. Like there were some moments between Kratos and, and Atreus or, you know, some of the other characters or Brock dying where I was just like, no, like, mm-hmm. no, I, I don't want this, man, <laughs> you know, or, or some of the emotional, and, and I mean, some of it's intentional. They definitely intentionally try to tug on your heartstrings and I'm okay with that because it worked, Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, like I'm a sucker for that stuff. So like, fine. Um, but yeah, that, that part kind of sucked. So I want to hark back to Bear McCreary and the music again real fast. At the end of the game, the first side quest that you're like thrown at is attending Brock's funeral. Yeah. The music at his funeral is it it blows away whatever else you hear in this game. Like I was crying for like an hour later just wandering on my house because I attended Brock's funeral and it is hard. I hated it. Well, it's it's, incredible. A, it's especially sad because I don't even know that they really needed to go this far to to do our boy Brock wrong. They tell you he's not even eligible for an afterlife I, oh, because right, part man. of his soul was left behind. It's like, really? We got to rob Brock of an afterlife also? So our boy Sindri is reduced to this like really bitter, empty shell that he yeah. was before. And so it's like seeing Sindri reduced to like ashes is also really sad because he's partially responsible for why Brock no longer has an afterlife. So it's a really tragic tale at the end of those two brothers. Did you notice that when he shows up at Asgard at the end of the game, like his eyes yeah. are red. Dude, he oh, like yeah. he crazy. has been, he has <laughs> yeah. been, he is in, that was, that was something I thought was really nice that they did that. Cause they, they didn't have to do that. But like the attention to detail again, in the direction of the game, his eyes are red. Like he's been crying for days. It's horrible. Yeah. Let's, and he's, he's like, uh, he almost doesn't even care that he's taking out innocence as he like destroys all of the uh, Odin reinforcements around the wall. Like he's got his little instrument. He hits it. He's like, there you go. You got what you wanted. And he's just like, it's not that he's acting soulless, but it's like you lose everything that made Sindri Sindri. He's like a different character at that point. And it really just makes you hope that he turns out. Okay. He needs some time to grieve. Yeah, we have to talk about the Dropner spear in in spoiler territory. I'm trying to think of like, what are some of the biggest moments of like that stand out in my mind? And the Dropner spear is one of those. It was also one of the most confusing initially because they're like, well, we need this weapon. And they're like, well, Dropner. And then I'm like, what the heck is Dropner? And it's a ring. And then I'm like, wait, what's going on? And then you have to go Mm -hmm. see this mermaid lady. And, and so there was a little bit where I was really lost and I'm like, what the, I actually stopped and looked up what Dropner was because I'm like, what is like, I have a Dropner spear. How is this thing powerful? But that whole sequence I thought was incredible, man. 
you go, you make this weapon to kill Heimdall because Heimdall can foresee everybody's actions. So you can't fight him because he knows what you're going to do. So you have to go make a weapon that can kill Heimdall, which plays a huge part in the story of the game and Kratos kind of going back to old form because it's like, well, I'm I'm making a weapon that's going to kill a god. This is my mission. So I thought like, okay, this is really neat. But that whole sequence, dude, they they know how to like get yeah. you amped because you get this spear. It's a freaking Spartan spear, number one. So I'm like, oh yeah, like the, the new weapon. And then the like the next 30 minutes is you testing this weapon out and seeing what it's capable of. And I'm just thinking, like, I love you developers for this, man, because what a sequence. Like this whole thing took like an hour or so, and I loved every second of it. And and the way they added a third weapon to the game that, again, was nothing like the other two. It added so many more layers to the combat in the game that I loved. I found myself, once I had the spear, like every single fight, it became like second motion. Like, do I use the Blades of Chaos? Do I use the Leviathan Axe? Do I use the Drop Near Spear? And it would just be like, oh, this is happening. Spear real quick. Toot, 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 toot. Also, that Heimdall fight. When you finally do fight Heimdall with that spear, at first, I'm like, uh... This doesn't work. He's still avoiding everything. And then you have that realization (laughs) of how you have to beat him that every time he deflects the spear, it goes in the ground and you've got to track him over it and blow it up to damage him until you break, you know, and that part when he first gets hit and he's shocked and you're like, you are so dead now. (laughs) So this is this is what I was going to ask. How does the drop near spear uh, how, how, how does Heimdall still not understand your intentions? I still don't totally get why you're able to use that to kill him because he knows that they can blow up so why would he still run over them i didn't totally get so it goes back to i think when they were taking the the rings out of the mine or whatever where he was sindri or brock goes down with a bucket and grabs a chain yeah Yeah, they get the ring where Mm -hmm. somehow this ring somehow this spear exists to me like both in and outside of realms in normal time and heimdall just can't see it once it's been thrown it's it's he only sees the one that Kratos is holding, but the spear like duplicates itself. It's and that was okay. kind of what I inferred. Dropnir replicates itself is what it was. So the actual mythology yeah. of Dropnir is it is a ring um, that replicates itself and it's made out of gold. So this is how Odin winds up basically having all the money he ever needs to rule, you know, the nine realms kind of thing. And so they even mentioned that, you know, hey, they stole Dropnir from Odin. The the dwarves did it, the brothers did it. Um, so when they turn this into the spear, basically the spear can replicate itself just like the ring could. And so because it's replicating itself, that's why you can throw so many copies of it and embed them and things like that. And it just overloads Heimdall's ability to know where everything is going and your intentions because this spear is replicating itself so he can't track everything. That's the best, like, I, guess. I got out of yeah. it. You know, <laughs> it's a little convoluted. Yeah, you just got to take is, it yeah. at face value. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of, you, you and I kind of came to the same conclusion. It, it was kind of like, well, it's just, it's because he can't now, see the. Did you guys like the spear? Did you use it a lot? I loved the spear. I didn't like I it. I used it a lot. I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I I got real nasty with that spear. I put a lot of points into it. Now I di- I did almost hundred percent the game, and a lot of the stuff that got good with the spear was way later. Yeah, again, you don't get the spear until at least two thirds in the game, halfway, halfway, about uh, halfway in the game you I get the spear. I'd say a little over. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. a little over. So we'll say three fifths, but. You know, it, it's almost like I used it a, a whole bunch later on with some of the Berserker fights, I think, was where it became really handy. But that was after I had it maxed every point into it. See, I put every point into it, too, because by the end of this game, you can basically buy mm. every skill. 
And I will say it's very funny to turn enemies into pin cushions where you are just throwing spear, 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 spear. And then you make them all detonate. Like, it is very funny. I love the idea of the spear and I liked the Heimdall fight, but I did not find myself using it very often later. I only would pull it out if I felt like I had to. Like, if the Leviathan right. Axe or the Blades of Chaos weren't working. Yeah. I really yeah. wanted well, to like it, but I felt like it was inferior to the Blades of Chaos and the Leviathan Axe. One of the things I liked about it was some of the abilities that you use on it, some of the um, the runic abilities are very good for crowd control because it would either pull in or push away groups of enemies. And that's kind of why I, I favored it later on. More, you know, in that part, like normally you use the Blades of Chaos for a lot of that stuff. Leviathan mm-hmm. Axe feels like more single target. Blades of Chaos feels like more multi-target. The spear was more crowd control. Like, okay, I'm getting overwhelmed. So some of the crucible challenges, you've got to use the spear and try to get these guys corralled in front of you or just get them away from you. Yeah. Uh, Since we're going into spoilers, I I, I do want to share a couple things that I found lacking in Ragnarok's story. The combat, I have nothing negative to say. I think the combat in this is a little bit better than 2018. I do feel like the story elements do suffer a bit. I think they bit off more than they can chew. I don't know why this wasn't split into two games. You've got enough villains. You have enough story. I felt like in large sections, they kind of just yada, yada, yada the details. They're like, you know what? We see in prophecies that we're fighting with Hell's armies and we're fighting with the Dark Elves. And then toward the end of the game, they're just like, okay, um, Frere, uh, and, and, and like Frere says... I'll just go reunite the elves after centuries of fighting. And they're like, well, how are you going right. to do it? And he goes, well, they really like me. And yeah. I'm like, really? Like, we don't get to see it. We don't get yeah. any kind of explanation. And clearly they just didn't have enough time to delve into all those things. Hell's army gets recruited. We don't see or experience any of that. Frere kind of pops up out of nowhere. We don't really spend any time with him. And then he dies saving us. And I'm like, I wish I cared. But right. like, I yeah, don't right. know anything about right. Frere. I didn't, I didn't spend enough time with him. So I felt like the game almost felt like it was on fast forward unnecessarily. I, I, I wished it just had a little bit of a slower pace and they could have fleshed out some of that stuff a little bit more. I feel like what they really could have done too is if they split it in two games, because I had the thought about that until you just mentioned it, but like Freya's story, which I have to cover in spoiler territory. We don't have to do it now because we're on a different part, but I have to cover that because it was one of my favorite parts of this game um, was just the conclusion to the Freya story. But I think you could have made that almost a whole game with her and Freya and all that stuff and uniting the elves and all that. That might have actually worked because again, uniting the elves, that's not a small thing. And then of course, the outcome of what happens with Freya to break the curse, very emotional part. Well, even going into the Freya stuff, she has spent three years trying to murder Kratos. Right. And then all of a sudden, like Atreus turns into a bear and Kratos just says, no, don't harm her. She's our friend. And then Freya's like, you know what? I probably can't forgive you, but let's just go ahead and and have an alliance. And I was like, really? Three whole years of devoting her Mm -hmm. life to killing Kratos. And it's just snap of a finger and now we have this alliance where she's going out on missions with us again i felt like that's a little fast i feel like they and and i know that you first send atreus and atreus goes out and talks to her first but again i felt like it just turned things around a little too quickly for me yeah there's a lot like i said i mentioned this earlier but the story is so grand in a lot of ways they try to go so big 
that some of that falls apart a little bit. Um, I had exception with a few things. Number one, they really, there's the whole series with Angerboda. Where you're learning about the giants. Oh, this no. is the slowest part of the game. Oh, I did too. I like the character of Angerboda. I thought she yeah. was great, but this part of the game is very slow. Ooh, 90 um, minutes. It's all about Why learning about the giants. For 90 minutes? Right. I, I mean, I get that it's whole like, oh, I'm finally going to learn some about the giants, but then it's like all their conversation and everything I felt like could have been condensed into like 10 minutes. Like, give me just the facts that I need to know. And then, so that gets really convoluted after a while, and they go down this whole thing, and I left this 90-minute segment going, I don't really know anymore, other than, like, yeah. their souls are in marbles? Like, okay. Like, and I get that that plays a part later on, but I, that of. part, yeah, I, I was just kind of <laughs> yeah. like, well, what was that all about? And then you get into the whole fate versus prophecy versus your choice thing, and I think that's a neat premise, but mm-hmm. they didn't have time to really explain a lot of that and I, so- I, I wanted to bring up that same thing josh i wrote it down this did nothing for me in this game because never for a second do you think in the universe of god of war that you have no choice right you don't you don't believe that ever yeah. right. so why is that like a main tension of the story you don't believe in prophecy in this game nobody does so why does it even matter? Why is it even in the story? They even say, like, when you visit, what are they called? The the Noons or... Uh, or the, the Norns. The Norns. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. They even say, yeah, basically, you're just so predictable. We can guess the future, but it's not really mm. set in stone, but it is because we know your nature. But then if it's not set in stone, then why do prophecies even matter? It's just... It made no sense. I like the aspect. I like that. Hey, is your fate, your fate, is it predetermined? Do your choices matter? Like, and I like that they brought this up in the game because they're trying to figure out how they're going to defeat Odin. And they've got all these prophecies that Atreus super believes in because the giants left him behind. Like, I get the conflict. I, I, I get what they were going for. I just felt like it really kind of fell short in that regard because is Kratos going to kill Heimdall or is he going to spare Heimdall? And then, and mm-hmm. then they're struggling with the fate versus prophecy thing. And it's like, well, he tries to spare Heimdall, but then he, Heimdall winds up being a jerk and Kratos kills him anyway. Yeah, and I yeah. get what they're going for, but it never really pays off, I guess. Like that whole interaction with fate and prophecy never just had a payoff to me. They could have taken a lot of that part and spent more time with Freya, who we really care about. I, I <laughs> really, I don't care about Freya that much. Now I want to oh, hear Michael's because like he said Freya. he had to bring it up. But Freya in 2018 God of War, I thought was phenomenal. And I'll be honest, I did not care for her that much in Ragnarok. I I liked her. I I think it was rushed a little bit. I think I really liked having her around for a lot of the post game stuff because after the game you run around with Freya and yeah. not Atreus. Sorry about that. Spoilers. Oh, we're in spoiler territory. Yeah. We can do it. Um. I, I really got connected to specifically the writing when, when it frees her curse. Because what we know about Freya is she has a curse where she cannot harm anything at all. She cannot harm anything. That's what she is until they lift Odin's curse. And Kratos, that's why she's teaming along. And I kind of bought into this. I wish they would have gone into it more. But I bought into it that her and Kratos have a common goal. And one of the reasons that she is, that she is with Kratos this whole time is because... Um, he's basically like, listen, if you want to go free your curse, I'll come with you. And she's like, well, because you owe me? And he's like, no, because it's what I would do. And you're like, okay, I kind of get that. So that's why they kind of hang out in the middle of the game a little bit. When they lift the curse, though, the line that she kind of says, and I'm going to paraphrase this, because she looks at him and she says, now that the curse is broken, 
I have to either forgive you or I have to kill you. And you see her reach for a sword and you think she's going to fight him, maybe. And then she kind of puts it down and says, I can't do either. And I'm like, that line was really heavy. She can't forgive him because he still killed her son, but she can't kill him because he's an ally and they both have a common goal. And then later you kind of get more from the stories that make it so that you kind of believe the alliance and the, and the friendship can exist. But it wasn't enough. I think I was, I think I was making things up in my head to love it as much as I do, but I liked what they did with <laughs> it. I just wish they spent more time on it. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the emotional payoff between Kratos and Atreus, because I thought that was handled really well. This is where you have the benefit of two entire games of Kratos not really knowing how to connect emotionally to his son. It was one of my major complaints when Josh drafted Kratos as best gaming father after 2018, <laughs> and I said no. Still stand by it. This I still stand by it. Not in any shape to be father of the year. Uh, also, I don't know if you guys saw the dialogue, but there's a really funny sequence with him and Mimir when he's asking, did I uh, prepare Atreus enough? And Mimir's like, oh yeah, the boy can survive and handle himself. And he's like, no, I mean like in the ways of love. And Mimir's like, <laughs> oh, well, yeah. me and the boy have had some conversations. So I'm like, yeah. yeah, Kratos can't even touch those subjects with Atreus. But the fact that at the end of the game, they have learned to fully trust one another. Kratos gives the little comment about Loki is gone, but Atreus is here. And you even see Kratos uh, shed oh, a little tear. Dude. Oh, I shed hard. a little tear. I'm not going to oh, lie, yeah. dude. The the facial expression, they'd zoom in on Kratos, and I was like, is he about to cry? Because if, he, if he's going to cry, I'm going to cry. You get the big hug. They hug yeah. each other. Yeah. Oh, man. Right, speaking of emotional payoff, um, one of the reasons why you have to play God of War 2018, of course, if you're listening this far, I guess it doesn't matter because you probably have. <laughs> but one of the reasons you have to play it is that one of the first things that Kratos says to Atreus in God of War 2018 is when he kills the deer. And he says something about how you have to not feel. You have to just not feel close it. Your close heart. yourself. After, yeah. Close your yeah, heart. Close yourself. It. Close your heart. And then when the end of this game, when they're in Asgard and there's innocent people there, when Kratos, and you guys probably know what he said better than I do, but when Kratos tells him, basically, open your heart, it actually shows so much more about Kratos' character arc than it does Atreus's. It's so incredible because he basically says, no, you should feel. We should be compassionate. Yeah. Kratos can accept his son for who his son is. Instead of trying to make Atreus act like Kratos. Right. Kratos says yeah. that's what makes you unique and makes you you. So you open your heart to it because you're not me. You're your own separate adult now. And I thought that was really beautiful. Yeah. The, I like that. I mean, you, you obviously you see the evolution of Atreus in Ragnarok. I think that's one of the highlights. But at the same time, you see the growth and evolution of Kratos as well. Um, and a lot of what I love about the story and the payoff in this game is seeing them both mature and come to grips with things that maybe they're not so good at and ways to be like a better family as well. So yeah it, it side just one little side comment about the the character development more of atreus at one point i don't remember when this happens in the game it's towards the end atreus coughs and kratos is like boy is it he doesn't say boy because he never says boy in this yeah. game he literally doesn't say it one time but he's like atreus is it back talking about that cough that he had in the first game and atreus is like no dad i just swallowed my spit <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah there's some very funny moments i feel like this game had a lot more humor in 2018, I loved, which I, I loved appreciated. that though, dude. There's yeah. one part yeah. I can't remember. It. Are you are you with Tear? You're with somebody, and you're playing as Kratos, and you go off and you smash a chest that you see. Yes, and 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 the Treus just goes, 
Yeah, my dad likes smashing things. <laughs> or yep. he, yeah, he really likes or, going to look for gold or something. Yeah, I can't remember Tyr, what he said. Tyr says, why are you going that way? The objective's here. And Atreus goes, oh yeah, he does that. You'd be surprised how that. much treasure he finds. Like, they, yeah. they even poke fun at even that mechanic in God of War. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you, though. Um, so, since you talked about Mimir... When I played God of War Ragnarok, and then I went to the first, I don't know, third of God of War 2018, I felt very lonely not having Mimir <laughs> on my body at that time. So I was, I was really happy because I'm like, oh, shoot. In this game, does he get Mimir like in that capacity, like where he's on his belt talking? Mimir makes this game oh, he so does. great. Yeah, the commentary, the little, it's the little things. We said that about the 2018 one, too. But the attention to detail, some of the comments that just happen as you're walking around the world. That aspect is one of those small little details that really makes God of War. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we can close down the spoiler section here. We can move on to our, our last couple of segments here. So, community reviews. I know that this game is a PS4 and PS5 exclusive. Josh, were you able to find some reviews left online, maybe through Metacritic or something? I did. Actually, I had to go to Metacritic for this, but it's honestly, for for this game, probably the best uh, conglomeration of reviews for this. So, like we always do, we've talked about the game, we've kind of given some of our thoughts, some of the overviews and stuff like that, but we always pull some reviews from people that have played the game. We always try to find some negatives and some positives. Um, So, Metacritic is where I went for these. So, I will start off with a negative one. Um, uh, and Metacritic uses a score of um, 0 to 10. Um, and then it's weird because then that translates to a score from 0 to 100 somehow. So, um, all right. So this person gave it a 4 and says, does what it does correctly, but the handholding is inexcusable. The devs need to stop catering to the lowest common denominator and realize that most people can actually grasp very basic logic in puzzle solving. Prompting the player literally seconds after a small challenge presents itself is bafflingly bad. Okay, I can kind of see what they're saying. I agree with this one, which is why I pulled this one, (laughs) because there are a lot of puzzles in God of War, and especially in Ragnarok, and they do mix up the puzzle some, which is a nice little thing, too, and we didn't really talk about, but you can approach a puzzle... And look at it and go, okay, I'm just going to look around. Let me get the lay of the land. And five seconds later, Freya is like, I wonder if we could stop that water flow over there. And you're like, right. well, what the? Come on, man. <laughs> and, and just the part, too, where like almost every time that you're in, a, you're in a building or a cave or something, and there's multiple different ways to go, Atreus is always standing where you're supposed to be going. No matter what, if you're like, oh, that's the way I got to go, I guess. Like sometimes the top, the, the compass turns gold and like you don't have the pointer on there. Well, just whichever way Trace is looking, that's the way I got to go. My favorite is when you're literally trying to solve the puzzle and you're doing exactly what you need to do. And then they're like, huh, I wonder if we could do this. And it's like, yeah, yeah, game. I'm yeah, literally I'm trying that right now. Like, <laughs> I, I just I didn't hit the target the first time. I do wish there was a way to either turn it off completely or change the time. Delay. Right. Like, give me like after 60 seconds, if I haven't done something, like give me a hint kind of thing. But they really... It really dumbed the puzzles down big time, man. And I like the puzzles in this game. I think they're a nice little refresher, you know? So, yeah, I I love the puzzles, but I do think that um, the AI there, because sometimes it would wait like a minute. Sometimes I'm like, I need a clue. Can you say something? And I'll walk around in circles and stop for a few seconds. 
like, please, Freya, say something. I can't figure this out, and I'm I'm above YouTubing it. Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny because, but the AI doesn't know. I wish the the AI was tweaked to where it's like, okay, if, if someone's standing still for sixty seconds, then we'll give a clue. Yeah. All right, this one is a ten. So this person rated it perfectly. God of War Ragnarok maximizes and perfects everything that was already great about the prequel. Storytelling, artwork, dialogue, audio, gameplay mechanics, and combat are crafted with so much love for the smallest detail. It's simply astonishing. The game is so ultra polished that it comes pretty close to perfection and man what an eye-opener the graphics are one of the few real next-gen titles and one of the best games ever made 10 out of 10 game's gorgeous can't argue with that yeah it is it's uh, yeah they they get it right i can't i'll be honest i this this is the first time i've played a ps5 by the way because i borrowed your ps5 paul and i i didn't even realize that they give you a performance mode and a quality mode Mm mm-hmm I I'll tell you what, man. I tried both, but getting sixty frames a second in the performance mode was such a game changer over the little bit of extra detail in the quality mode that I played a hundred percent of the time on performance mode because the graphics are so good that I literally could not tell that much improvement with using quality mode. On yeah, that. yeah, and the- so. I wanted to talk about something real fast that we didn't cover, um, and I'll, I'll just I'll just derail us for one second because it's so important. When you guys talked about God of War on that episode, you talked about the snow when you're walking through it and you see the footprints and so forth. This game amped it up a million times more. It was so realistic when you would step on the snow, the way the powder, and then you would do things like you would go to Kratos' house and the whole area is covered in snow. You'd go back again later and some of the snow is melting and the snow reacted differently. I thought that was incredible. And also, one of the things that kind of took me out of God of War 2018 is it felt like they didn't get the water quite right. They fixed that in this one. The water's incredible. So the fact they could get the quality with those things, those details they don't need to have, it's so polished. All right. This next one is uh, a negative. They gave it a three. Where's the Ragnarok, though? That is the ending of the game and the ending of the North myth- mythology chapter. Is this a joke? What an underwhelming and rushed ending. The characters, apart from Atreus and Kratos, don't even get a proper send-off. Where's the epic boss fights? You can't seriously make a God of War and think that three humanoid bosses are enough. Where's the big bosses? WTF. Now... Now, here's another reason I picked this one, because if you're going to criticize it, I think it's a valid criticism. In God of War 2018, you have the gigantic giant when you're doing the fight with Balder and Freya, you know, and you have this epic giant thing. You've got some of these huge creatures. You have the dragon fights in 2018. Those were monumental. I will say in Ragnarok, I felt like the boss fights were a little bit lacking. Yeah, it's since I played 2018 after I played Ragnarok, I didn't realize that I was missing that feeling from God of War 3 that I got. In God of War 3, one of the first things you do is you're jumping on Gaia fighting like Zeus, and you're like on a Titan. You have a whole fight in like God of War 1 where you're on top of Atlas, a whole city on top of a Titan. This game had none of that. It was all humanoid bosses, and that was it was something I didn't realize by playing this game first. But God of War 2018 had it. Even the part when you go inside the World Serpent was kind of cool. Yeah. You know? But yeah, interesting take. All right. And then this one, this person rated it a 10 out of 10. And it says, as a fan of the previous games, I didn't think a sequel could surpass it. Oh, how wrong I was. God of War Ragnarok ups the stakes, action, and emotion all the way up to an 11. The story and characters are phenomenal and prove upon the original in every way. The visuals are once again striking, and the action is upped thanks to new gods to fight and enemy varieties. Although the rest 
rest of the gameplay stays mostly the same, which is far from a bad thing given how smooth it was in the 2018 game. God of War Ragnarok is a triumph and shows just how games can truly be works of art and insanely fun. So one of our minor criticisms, Josh, when we did the deep dive on 2018 is that the finisher moves were so repetitious and it was the same enemy types over and over. They absolutely fixed that in Ragnarok. Now, I take issue with anyone who says the emotions and the story are better in Ragnarok. I completely disagree. But I'm with you. I will say the only complaints we had about 2018, they did fix in this one. I think they created a couple new ones, yeah. but there are, <laughs> instead of being like three finisher moves, there's a good 15 in this one where you only see the same ones a handful of times over the course of the game that does not feel repetitious in this one at all there's also a better enemy variety in ragnarok which i did appreciate now i hate some of those enemies because they're annoying to fight but at least (laughs) they had better enemy variety as well so um and since those were very polarizing very very lower perfect tens i did actually pick and find a very middle of the road review as well so i'm going to read that one just to kind of give a balance there between you know somebody that said hey this game's it's good but it's not great but it's not terrible either uh they rated it a six and it says the story is good the worlds are mostly very fun to explore and there are a lot of very memorable characters the combat is great against bosses but fighting groups of enemies the majority of the darn game is mostly garbage and not fun the camera is garbage and you'll either be spending a lot of your time trying to keep all the enemies in frame or getting shanked from off screen i played this and 2018 on the hardest difficulty i had fun with 2018 but did not enjoy my time with ragnarok as much which goes back to what we were saying about the combat, which is, you know, it's just good to see that we're not the only ones that thought that. But fighting swarms of enemies should not be harder than a boss fight in most yeah. right. situations. So agreed. Yeah. All right. OK, guys. So what we always do after this is we guess what we think the overall rating um, for a game is. Now, I said before the show, I don't I knew the rating on this. I don't know if somebody was talking about it, if I was checking for video game news and just saw it in an ad or something like that. So unfortunately, I inadvertently cheated and I know the rating on this. So I'm not <laughs> going to you, give sir? my guess. But you two both said you have no idea what the Metacritic rating on this game is. So this is going to be between the two of you as far as the competition. So on the Metacritic scale of 0 to 100%, where do you guys think it falls? So for a quick point of clarification, the 0 to 100 rating is from critics. The 0 to 10 right. rating is the user score. Oh, right. Sorry. This would be the critics. So we're guessing then. the critic score. Correct. All right. What, what, what you got, oh. Michael? I think you've won we- more recently than me. Do we normally guess the critic score or the user score? Well, on Steam, know. it's user score, but they don't have okay. a critic score on Steam. So so here's here's what always gets me, and I know we do this on purpose, is Josh goes through the reviews before we do this, because I'm always like, man, it's going to be really high. And then I hear the negatives, and I'm like, maybe it's not as high as I think. That being we, said... We could do the user score, too, if you guys want. I mean, maybe we should do the we'll user do score on this, <laughs> which would be the scale of 0 to 10. I didn't think about user that. User score is harder. Yeah, do the user score because that's, All I right, mean, yeah. this is people that played the game. I think everybody's heard what the, the critic score is and everybody knows it's really good. Um, but yeah. let's go with the user score, which is zero to 10 on a decimal scale. All right. So I can't say 13 then. No. <laughs> okay. So can't well, you 13, can. Yeah. I still believe the consensus of this game from what I understand, just even talking to people in our Discord, is people love this game. 
there are going to be naysayers that are negative. So I think the score is very high. I'm going to say it's somewhere around a 9.6, to be honest with you, which might be a little lofty, but I think it's very high. Uh, I think that's probably too high, given what I know about Metacritic. I will strategically say 9.5, but my realistic guess Ooh. would be a uh, 9.0 would be like my real guess. All right. You got to pick one. Strategic guess or real guess? Oh, strategic guess. 9.5 ah. is the official. That's like bringing comic book characters into a video game fight. <laughs> All right. Well, Paul, exactly. Paul's strategy paid off. The actual user score on this is an 8.3, oh, okay. um, Wait, which what? I find to be very, very low. There was some review bombing, which seems to happen in every game. I mean, you heard the gripes that people had for the legitimately bad reviews. Um, but I mean, there were just a lot of people that gave it zeros because it's not any different from 2018. You know, and so there, there the was some review thing. bombing on there as well. The critic score is a 94 um, to, uh, you know, to yeah. give you that. And then, like I said, 8.3 for the user score. So, Paul, you win. Yes. Lead us into this next segment, Paul. All right, let's do it. Let's hit that music. Dang, Freya, was your daddy a baker? Because those are the finest buns I've ever seen. <laughs> All right. This segment is called Make Love, Marry, or Murder. This is where all three of us rate the game. Is this game marriage material? We highly recommend it. You, we, you should go buy it. Pick it up right away. Is it make love material? Maybe it's worth waiting until it's on sale. Or maybe it's worth just playing a couple hours and then moving on. Or is this game murder material? Uh, who wants... To, uh, Michael, I feel like yours is the I'll most obvious answer. Why, why, why don't you go first? Mine's, am I always... like? Am I that transparent? <laughs> like it's always... <laughs> Um, well, you okay, said it's... So, oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, so here's what I'll say. Okay. 2018, I agree, is is a near-perfect game, if not a perfect game. There's so many small criticisms that are so small that you can't say that it's not a perfect game. That being said, if we compare Ragnarok to 2018, it is inferior. 2018 is a better game, despite them polishing some of the graphics and some of the... Com- uh, some of the... Of, of the Oh man, I just lost my train of thought there. <laughs> All right, combat—that's the word I was looking for. That's not even a hard. Thoughts are hard now. Words have only been hard. I'm have to go get a test. Um, anyways, so if we compare to 2018, mm. I think Ragnarok is inferior. It does some things better. It sure does. It's a great game. Mm-hmm. That being said, if we compare this game to many other games, it is an easy marry. This game is incredible. It's a very well done game. It's tons of fun. The graphics are incredible. The voice acting is over the top. Matching these characters' movements and their mannerisms to the voices that are being done is second to none on any game I've ever seen. The game is incredible. So yeah, I'm not comparing this game to 2018, even though, excuse me, it sounds like every single review out there is being like, oh, it's just more of the same. Yeah, but more of the same is really freaking good. This game was awesome. So I'm marrying the game. Yeah, I, I I would almost say exactly the same thing of everything you just said, Michael. I think it's absolutely inferior to 2018, but it's still fantastic. If 2018 did not exist, I might be saying this is a perfect game and I might not have any right. complaints. It just speaks to how good 2018 is that you can nitpick the more minor things, especially in regards to story. Um, there's no way I'm going to try to get too cute and try to argue it's somehow make love or anything like that. It's It's a merry. It's a fantastic game. Everyone should play it. It's worth the $70 price, which is hefty, yeah. but everyone out there should buy it and play it if you have a PS5. I'm sure some people will buy a PS5 just to play it sooner than later, um, but yeah, it's definitely marriage material. Marry all the way. 
All right. So for me, this is an easy, easy Mary. I don't think, I mean, everybody knew I was going to love this game and I do. Sure. I absolutely <laughs> love it. Um, I, you know, everybody wants to know, is it better than 2018? How does it compare to 2018? So that kind of stuff. For me, this is your bigger, better sequel that shoots for the moon and kind of gets into orbit, but doesn't quite hit the moon, right? Um, it misses the magic of 2018's God of War. That that small quest of it's just, hey, this is just a father and a son trying to get to a mountain and what happens along the way. This is, we want everything to be grand and amazing and showdowns and, and all this stuff. And while it succeeds in a lot of that, part of going so grand is that you miss the intimate stuff. And so I will say that Ragnarok on its own is practically a perfect video game. I mean, I cannot think of another game in recent memory that I have loved more than Ragnarok. Um, is it better than 2018? It doesn't need to be. You know what I mean? It, it stands on its own. It does its own thing. If I had to pick one and say, this is the one I'm going to play for the rest of my life, I'm probably going to pick 2018 because it's got that magic mm -hmm. and that mystery to it and that innocence that you don't have with Ragnarok. But man, is Ragnarok great, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so much the fun. Takeaway. That really is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is It's like it does some things better. It does some things worse. You're never going to regret playing this game. Like That's the answer. I have an easy film comparison to what you just said as far as the intimacy of the first game and going too grand. It's like the original Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy to me. The very first movie stood alone. It was great. You got lots of Jack Sparrow and um, Miss Turner and, and of course, Jeffrey Rush. I'm disinclined to acquiesce to your request. <laughs> Means no. You know, you get a lot of that stuff from it and it's really good for character development, but the sequels decide to involve the entire freaking world and it just doesn't land enough because you don't have enough. You're trying to do too much. And I think that that's an easy comparison where like, okay, we tried to bite off more than we could really do. And it was a great game. It was lots of fun. But like Paul said, maybe this should have been two games. I, I will say this. There was a moment right near the very end where I was trying to like formulate my thoughts on Ragnarok versus the 2018 and stuff like that. And I just remember thinking, this is the most epic video game that I think I've ever played. Like in that sense, I can shake my head and say, I feel like I am playing like it, it, like an Oscar winning game almost. Like this game is going to win a ton of awards. It's the most epic experience I think I've ever had in that regard. It, it just doesn't have the magic that 2018 had. So it's like, take that for what you will. You know what I mean? As far as that goes, because people want to say, oh, which one's better? And it's like, they're just different in my opinion. Yeah, it's kind of like a forest and trees analogy, right? Like, this is a much bigger forest than 2018, but you're kind of losing the element of the individual tree right. in Ragnarok. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was fun with metaphors with Paul. <laughs> that's, that's the new segment. <laughs> right. All right. Well, obviously, we knew this show was going to go pretty long, but let's go ahead and move on to our leaderboard and see where this game stacks up. Okay, if anyone out there is new to the idea of our leaderboard, we have on our website, MultiplayerPodcast.com, a list of every game we have done a deep dive of. We currently are sitting at a list of 83 games. We will now have 84 after adding Ragnarok. And as a three-person consensus, we have to figure out where to place this game in relation to all the others. 
This ends up meaning we're not just comparing it to 2018 God of War. We're also going to try to compare it to games like Rust and Valheim and Elden Ring and Outer Wilds. All these games that are vastly different, even different genres. It's part of the fun of what we do here. So as a three-person team, the fact that we all married God of War Ragnarok, I assume it's safe to say it's in our top 20, right? I would say top 70 at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. Top 70 yeah. for sure. Uh, Helping you guys out. Yeah. I think top 20 is safe to say, and I think we're all saying it would be lower than 2018, right? So we're looking somewhere in that three to 20 range is that yeah what we would say? i i mean i'm just gonna throw it out there that i think this is super comparable to god of war um in its uh, you know enjoyableness um if nothing else like this i had crazy amounts of fun playing this game um i, I mean for me it's a top 10 game easily i i concur i'll easily put it in the top 10 yeah, I was going to say, looking at the list, I could be talked into something as high as seven, where we would put it above Apex, Rocket League, Valheim, Satisfactory. But I could also be talked into putting it as low as 14, putting it below Divinity Original Sin 2 and Elden Ring. Um, So that was kind of my thoughts. So you're both just a little bit higher on it than me. What what do you guys what do you guys think? I mean, we I would it put it at I, number three personally because I think it's that good. I mean, does it reach like you know? Again, everybody's going to compare it, right? Does it reach God of War? Like, no, but it's like a one A and a one B kind of thing, and where it does some things better, hmm. it does other things worse. But wow, I mean, over, over Disco and Cyberpunk, huh? I freaking loved Ragnarok, man. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was more of the same, and and I know that I'm higher on God of War than probably both of you guys. So it's a little bit of personal bias there as well. Um, but I mean, if we're saying God of War is number two, and I think Ragnarok is just about as good, and in some <laughs> ways a little bit better, you know, then I, you know, I'm going to put it like at like number three. I am much closer to Josh than I am to Paul. Um, I have a very hard time with number five when I try to rank this because Disco Elysium again, much smaller scale much more simplified artwork and character movement, stuff like that. But the story was absolutely engaging and enticing, and I loved it. There's so much more in God of War Ragnarok, but ah, Disco Elysium is a perfect role-playing game. So, like, how do you do it? How do you... So I could go on either side of Disco Elysium. I don't know if I'd put this one above Cyberpunk just because the ambition in Cyberpunk was something I don't think I've ever seen in a video game. Um, Overwatch, obviously, is Overwatch. It, it, it's an incredible game that, that united so many different genres to make someone like me want to play a shooter. It belongs there. I would definitely swap one and two. I think God of War might be the best game I've ever played. I think Cyberpunk might be number two behind that. So that's why like the, the top three I can't touch. But putting it in front of Disco Elysium, I would I would take an argument on on before Ooh. or after Disco Elysium, I, I, and let, that's where I think it needs to go. Let, let, let's go one after, just for the sake of a little bit of diversity. Instead of having two God of Wars top five, if you feel you could go either way, now let, let's put it right below. Let's put now, it below Disco. I, I got a I, I got a, a an idea, guys. Oh, I got no. an idea. No, what no, what, if, no. what if we put that's not God this episode? That's not this episode. <laughs> Number one, no, no, no. <laughs> Michael, buzzer, buddy. the best game Michael's ever played is the last one he played. We're not know, putting it uh, above right. Red Dead Redemption. I, so, two. where do you want to put it? And, you know, the funniest six? thing is the best game I ever played before was Cyberpunk. Right, right Michael after we did played say it. that on the Cyberpunk <laughs> episode. I did. All right, so, we, yep. so you're saying put it at number six? Let's do it at six. I'm fine with that. 
I'm fine, fine with that too. So now our top six will be Red Dead 2, God of War 2018, Overwatch, Cyberpunk, Disco Elysium, then God of War Ragnarok, fine. Then Rust and everything else. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, with that. when the top when the top five should say God of War, uh, Cyberpunk, Disco Elysium, Overwatch, Red Dead Redemption 2. All right. Well, at least yeah. you've got like five out <laughs> of the same same games. <laughs> it's five same games. I mean, I didn't obtusely put Elite Dangerous up there, so I'm fine with that. Fair I enough. think that's a fair. It's a good spot for it. Okay, yeah. so my reordering works. That's great. No. Yeah, and it's it's interesting <laughs> that all of us have it rated above Elden Ring, and yet all of us think Elden Ring will win Game of the Year. Is that just you- our perception of what other people think? I think yeah. Elden Ring deserves to be a top 10 game personally, but I think some of that was we were referencing the difficulty curve. A lot of people aren't going to like how hard Elden Ring was and stuff like that. It's not going to... God of War is going to appeal to more broader people audience. once it's available to a broader audience, I think. Like when when, yeah. when Ragnarok comes to PC, I think you're going to find that more people like Ragnarok than, than people liked Elden Ring. Elden Ring is a game of the year because it did so much... Like it did so much over what it, you know, the Dark Souls format was, is probably it going its own to genre. Win. Right, exactly. Yeah. In that regard. Because Dark Souls so. games, Dark Souls games created their own own genre, essentially. That's why we call it Dark Souls games, yeah. like other games that are like those Dark Souls like. And that game innovated that. My thing about El- uh, uh, Elden Ring versus this game is Elden Ring feels a lot more like a one trick pony, like, than, like, there's no story at all. It's up no for dialogue. best narrative, Michael. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, so, but that's the thing, though, is like there's no character. Like you don't have character movement on their faces. It's just all combat, and it's incredible at that. And it did innovate. Um, man, it's tough. It sounds like I'm almost talking to myself into believing God of War Ragnarok will win a game of the year when I think it's going to be Elden Ring. Yeah, I, I think probably Elden Ring. I think that there will be enough people like us who think it was a little bit of a step down overall. Because I would say combat is 10% better, but I would say story is 40% worse. And so it's still fantastic. It's, it's I would give 2018 a 10 out of 10. I would give this one a 9 out of 10. Like It's yeah. still fantastic. It's yeah. way, way, way up there. So, all right. Well, if anyone out there wants to look at our full leaderboard, again, that's multiplayerpodcast.com. It's right there on the main page. Just scroll down a little bit there. And uh, obviously, we've been going for well over an hour and a half, guys. We could keep going, but I think this is a good stopping place. We do want to say thank you to everyone out there for listening. A very special thank you to Patreon supporters, especially legendary supporters Red Letter and Remy, and Epic supporters Ace of Shame, Yoda, Papa Thunderfist, and Wayne01. If you want to join their ranks, please visit MultiplayerSquad.com. And if you guys want a head start on the next deep dive that'll release two weeks from now, we will be covering the third-person cowboy action game Evil West. Also, you can follow us on socials at MultiplayerPod. We hope that you guys out there enjoyed Ragnarok as much as we did. Next Thursday, when we release our next episode, we hope you'll join us for that one as well. And until then, happy gaming. Cheers, all. All right. See you, everybody.